If you've been uh, in Sunday school for the last couple of weeks, you have seen, um, you'll notice today in Habakkuk 3 that our friend Habakkuk has been transformed. He's come a long way. Uh, If you haven't been in Sunday school, just very briefly uh, describe what's happened. In chapter 1, Habakkuk looks at his life, and he looks at his circumstances and what's happened to him, and he says, what in the heck, God? Right? He's frustrated. He feels like God is not acting. He's suffering at the hands of evil people. God's not doing anything. He's not answering Habakkuk's prayers, it seems. Uh, God does answer his prayers, and he says that I am going to cleanse your country from wickedness by having your country conquered. And Habakkuk was like, what? That's crazy. Um, and then God gives Habakkuk this great key verse Uh, chapter 2, verse 4, the righteous shall live by his faith. In other words, Habakkuk, you're going to have to take my ways over the world and my ways over your life by faith, by trusting me for who I am. And then uh, last week we examined this this vision uh, that Habakkuk was to put his faith in, that one day God would come and deliver his people by judging their enemies. That's where we've been. Habakkuk has to take this by faith. God promises future deliverance. And as we read Habakkuk 3, what we are going to see is just how far Habakkuk has come. We have gone from grumbling and questioning God to submitting to him, even though our circumstances aren't any better. They're, in fact, much worse in Habakkuk 3. But yet he, uh, he is now humbly and quietly submitting to God. So uh, if you're wondering uh, how you might get out of that rut in your life of questioning the Lord, or if you're wondering how can I walk with Jesus through my pain, or what should I do if I wake up next week and I feel like my life is over, Habakkuk 3 is for you. It's going to show you the secret to joy in suffering. A couple things uh, just to remark on before we read so you guys can understand. the very first part of Habakkuk 3, verse 1, it says that it's a prayer according to Shagayanoth. I'll give you a challenge. Use that word this week in a conversation, Shagayanoth, okay? Uh, it's just a musical term. basically means that uh, this, this is actually a song. Chapter 3 is a song. We'll notice at the very end of chapter 3, uh, the last verse of Habakkuk says, To the choir master with string instruments. The idea here is that uh, people are supposed to sing uh, what Habakkuk experiences. I won't try thankfully. Uh, If you're a talented musician, you should try to put this to music. It's good stuff. Uh, Also, note uh, verses 3 through 15 are very difficult verses to understand. They, uh, in my understanding, which I think is very clear from context, uh, they give a picture of God personally returning to the earth to deliver his people. Uh, We'll we'll, we'll talk through that in a moment, but it, it uses Old Testament imagery to describe a future return of the Lord to save his people. Um, just know that as we jump in, and then Habakkuk's response is the last part of the chapter. So let's, uh, let's hear the word together. We'll pray and ask the Lord helps us respond. Habakkuk 3, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shagayanoth. O Lord, I've heard the report of you, and, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. 
God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses or your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows, they sped. The flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we just ask um, that you would first just illuminate our understandings. I just pray, Spirit, just come. Uh, help us just to see uh, the glory and beauty of Jesus in this particular passage. And um, I pray uh, you would give us a taste of this uniquely Christian and unbelievable joy that Habakkuk has as we study. Please just meet us. Please come. We're needy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, a song that is composed in great suffering has great power. Um, My guess is you've probably heard the story of the famous hymn, it is well with my soul. Uh, if you haven't, it's worth uh, recounting. Uh, it was written by a man named uh, Horatio Spafford, um, who was a very successful lawyer living in Chicago in the late 1800s. Uh, he had a lot of possessions. He used them for the Lord's glory. He was a solid believer. Um, he was a buddy of D.L. Moody, if you're familiar with Moody, Moody Bible College. Uh, life was going very well for Horatio. Um, But in almost Job-like fashion, immediately after the death of his only son, uh, the Chicago fire basically burned down all of his possessions. He uh, decided to use the last little bit of his money to give his family a break, and so he sent his 
Well, he was planning on going with his wife and four daughters uh, to Europe just to get away from this for a little while. A last-minute uh, business thing made him have to stay behind, so he sent his wife and four daughters across the ocean. He was planning on coming a couple days later. Before landing in Europe, their boat struck another boat and sank in 12 minutes. His four daughters drowned. His wife was saved by herself. She got to land and sent him a two-word telegram, saved alone. And uh, Spafford immediately got on a ship to go see his bereaved wife. And the story goes, he approaches the place where his four daughters drowned. And he composes, it is well with my soul. Hear with fresh ears that first stanza that we have sung so many times at our church. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now, it's one thing to say, it is well with my soul when the rest of your life is well, right? When you're basically getting what you want, when things are going decently well, it's, it's one thing to say, it is well with my soul after a bad week, right? After work's been a little bit rough, after you're having some, some struggles, but it's an entirely another thing when you look at your life and it looks like the Lord has sovereignly chosen to ruin it, right? When he has taken everything you hold dear to, to stand over the graves of your four daughters and there to say, it is well with my soul. And that uh, unspeakable kind of miraculous experience um, is this is the power of the Christian life. This is the, what uh, Peter calls the joy unspeakable and full of glory. And it is exactly what we see on display in Habakkuk 3. Habakkuk is looking uh, at a future that is miserable. He's going to live under the rule of unjust people. His nation's going to be conquered, and he's going to be enslaved in a foreign land. And yet, here we see him singing a song a song of submission, a song of salvation, and a song of strength, all in the midst of extreme suffering. We will see the secret to unlocking that kind of joy in our lives as we look at this vision he has of God. So first, uh, let's just see in verse 2, this incredible change that has come over uh, Habakkuk. Uh, just notice, as I said earlier, look at uh, chapter 1, verse 2. Chapter 1, verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Right? Habakkuk's uh, frustrated. He's been praying. His life is hard. God's not helping. He's questioning God. God says, well, I'm going to help. It's not going to be what you like. I'm going to send a nation to conquer you. And in verse 13, here's what he says. This is the, the harshest we get. You who are of pure eyes and to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? He's accusing God of being an unjust judge, of allowing the wicked to prosper. So Habakkuk, he's walking with Jesus. He loves the Lord. But here's his prayer request in community group, okay? I want answers, and I want them now. I want to know why God has done this. He needs to tell me. It's kind of like Job. But look at where he is now. Look at this little, uh, this little prayer in verse 2. O Lord, I've heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear 
in the midst of years, revive it. So first, uh, it seems this report that Habakkuk has heard is the report of what God is going to do through all of these circumstances. He's a, uh, and this fear, my guess is this fear is not that shaking, trembling fear we'll see later. It's a uh, fear in the Old Testament can be reverence. Uh, Habakkuk has a reverence now for God's ways. He, he's in awe of what God is doing. And he says here, in the midst of years, revive it. So in the midst of years, revive your work. The idea here is in the midst of the years that are coming, right? These years in which I'm going to live under your wrath, right? I'm going to be captured. My city's going to be conquered. I'm going to be a slave in a foreign land. In these years, revive your work. In other words, I've embraced what's coming. I'm not questioning anymore. I'm not fighting it. I'm not accusing you of doing wrong. I've embraced my lot. And what I ask, Lord, is not that you'd change it, but that you'd work through it. So that's where we are. This is a radical transformation. Habakkuk, as the Psalms say, has calmed and quieted his soul. He has submitted to God. First thing I want to say is, wherever you are this morning, however hard it might be, whatever you might be looking forward to, the Lord's desire is simply that you just humbly submit to what he's doing in your life. You know, this was a, I had a professor in seminary say this to me, and uh, it, it, was, it was really life-changing. It just helped me understand myself. But he said, your sufferings, most of the time, are not your fault. But because you're a sinner, most of the time you respond to your sufferings sinfully. You'll see that? That's a key observation about life, okay? Your sufferings are not your fault most of the time. What happens to you happens in the world of a fallen world. Some, you have nothing out of your control. But oftentimes, because you're a sinner, you respond to your sufferings with sin. Anger at God, questioning God. You're not going to give me what I want? Well, I'm not doing my quiet times, you know? I'm going I'm to wait to be faithful until you're faithful to me, right? Those kind of responses. We all have those. And uh, we're all walking through a lot of them now. And uh, the Lord's desire for us first is that we learn to humbly submit to wherever he has us. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said famously, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. That sounds pretty, right? But the idea is a, of a guy in a raging sea who's being thrown against the rocks, okay? Not exactly a, a nice life situation, right? And he's saying, what I have learned is when my life feels like that, when I'm being dashed against the cliffs, I've learned to kiss the waves, kiss the sufferings, because the rocks they throw me against are actually the rock of Jesus. That is a perspective this passage offers us. So, wherever you are, uh, submit to the Lord's sovereignty and his kindness. Stop asking questions. Let go of your desire to know. Just submit. And uh, if you want to know how to pray when you're suffering, that's probably one of the hardest things, right? Bad day, terrible month. Or maybe you've tried to pray with someone else who's suffering, right? Someone who's walking through bereavement. Habakkuk shows us how. He says, in the midst of the years, revive it. The idea there, again, is in the middle of this, I'm not asking for escape anymore, but in the middle of this, 
work, Lord. Be merciful. It's a great way to pray this morning or to pray with someone who is suffering. So we see first Habakkuk is singing. He's singing his submission to God. But uh, a great question is how? (laughs) Kissing the wave of suffering might sound like kissing a person whose breath is terrible, right? Or kissing someone you hate who has hurt you, okay? Uh, It does not sound pleasant. The idea of embracing hard things, right? Uh, But Habakkuk shows us how. This next very difficult, I'll admit, vision uh, is how Habakkuk sings his submission. It's salvation later that leads to submission now. And just a couple things here. I've got to explain a little bit before we jump in. First, um, this, this picture is of God personally appearing at the end of the ages in a way in which creation melts before him. Um, and just whenever, whenever that happens in the scriptures, uh, in Ezekiel, when God appears, you've got like chariots of fire that make no sense. In Isaiah 6, you've got angels with six wings that are covering their heads. In, uh, in Revelation, you've got a sword coming from Jesus' mouth, right? You're like, what, what is going on, right? The idea there is that language, right, human language cannot express what it's like when God appears. So there's going to be some things in here that are a little extreme, a little bit crazy sounding, right? The idea is that when God himself comes, uh, things get a little crazy. Uh, second thing, this is the hardest part about this passage. Um, and I, I don't like to talk about the biblical languages unless they're necessary. But there is this verb tense in Hebrew, okay? There's in Hebrew, which is a great language, right? This verb tense can sometimes be past tense or sometimes be future tense. Why do they do that? I have no idea, okay? Uh, it's confusing. It's not, it's not helpful, okay? I didn't, write, I didn't write Hebrew, okay? So it's not my fault, okay? But if you notice, some of your translations primarily take verses 3 to 15 as past tense, and some of your translations take them as present or future tense. The reason is, is because you have to figure out if it's past, present, or, fu- or past or future based on context, right? And I think we'll see that the context is future as we walk through it. So just know that if you've been wondering wisely when talking about the future when this is all past tense, that's why, okay? So here we go. Uh, verse three, Verses 3 and 4 describe God himself appearing. Uh, notice God, and I'll just say will come. God will come from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. That's uh, the area around Mount Sinai. Notice that God is coming to a particular place, right? He's appearing on the earth personally. And we see, uh, we see verse 4 what that looks like. His brightness was like the light. In other words, he is pure light. There's, in fact, no other way to describe it. Uh, and then you get this image of God holding his fist like this and rays of light flashing from it, kind of like some superhero, right? And it's saying that even with all this glory, still he's veiling his power. God's personal presence is overwhelming, radiating light. And side note, if you're a believer, it's also overwhelming, radiating beauty that there's a day. When this happens, you're going to be transfixed upon Jesus. He's going to be the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Then uh, then in verses 5 to 7, we see the the effects of God's coming, primarily towards those who do not believe. Um, Before God, kind of like this happened in the Exodus, before God's coming, pestilence and plague come. He comes with judgment. Uh, Verse 6, he 
he stands and measures the earth. So again, the idea here is that the earth is this big. You know that little song we sing that he's got the whole world in his hands? Okay, that's kind of a scary song. Think of a being that holds the earth in his hands, right? God appears, here's the earth. He just measures it, right? And uh, when he comes like that, the nations shake. All the proud, arrogant nations so convinced of their self-sufficiency, right? Thinking they're eternal. When God appears, they shake. And the eternal mountains are scattered. Guys, I was uh, helping a buddy of mine uh, build a patio about three weeks ago. And all we did for five hours was dig the hole for a patio. It's only this deep, okay? It took us hours. Guys, dirt is heavy. Okay, you understand that? Dirt is heavy. If we try to climb a mountain, all right? Uh, hills and mountains and dirt, those things are the most fundamental, heaviest, most stable things there are. And when the Lord returns, it's like they melt away. Creation begins to come undone. So God himself appears. This appearance for his enemies will be horrible, but for his people will be glory. It's part of Habakkuk's hope. Uh, And then in verses 8 to 15, we see why God comes. Again, this is very difficult, a little confusing. Uh, Verse 8 asks a question, okay? It asks God, why did he come? Why is creation melting? And he says, was your wrath against the rivers? Are you coming like this? Is all this happening because you're angry at creation? That's not the answer. It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Um, The idea is that actually God comes in wrath against his enemies to save his people. We'll see that, okay? Uh, But again, that question in verse 8, why are you coming like this? Why, uh, Why is creation acting like this? And then uh, verses 9 to 12, we we get the beginning of the answer. Uh, First, we see God stripping the sheath from his bow, getting his uh, bow ready for battle. If you're interested in Old Testament connections, uh, you probably know the story of Noah. Did y'all see that double rainbow this past week? Crazy, right? Okay. Well, the reason we have rainbows is because after uh, the flood in the time of Noah, God put rainbows in the sky as a sign that he would not destroy the earth again until the end of the ages, okay? And the bow, if you've never gotten this before, a rainbow, it's, it's, a, it's a warrior's bow. Just read the, the story of Noah again. It's a warrior's bow. And the idea is he's, he's hanging it up. He's not going to take it up anymore, okay? Verse 9, he takes it up. He takes up his bow again. He comes like a warrior. And in verse 10, it appears that his weapons are creation itself. The raging waters sweep on. 11, the sun and moon stand still in their place, kind of like they did for Joshua, so that God can come as a warrior for his people. And now we see finally why. Finally, we get the the answer to the question in verse 8. Verse 12 and 13 tell us, God marches through the earth in fury. He threshes the nations in anger. He goes out for the salvation of his people, the salvation of his anointed Again, salvation is a word that just means to be delivered or to be saved, right? Probably in your church context, we, have, we primarily talk about salvation as a present or a past thing, like I got saved when I was whatever, or I am saved because I'm a Christian, right? Those are true things. It's a little more complicated in the Bible, though. In the Bible, uh, present and past salvation are, are a thing. Primarily, though, salvation's in the future. Deliverance is something you look forward to. Every, every true Christian has been saved, is being saved through this life, but primarily will be saved when Christ returns. 
But there's this picture. God returns, and he returns to save his people. So this passage pictures a future day. And we know from the New Testament that this is the day when Jesus Christ personally returns to the earth. Now, he's come once as a lamb, humble, to save sinners, right? When he comes again, it'll it'll be like a lion, right? He's going to come to rescue his people. Christ will return with power and glory. The clouds of heaven will come, the angels will come, and then it's over. Judgment begins. His people are saved. And, but for people who trusted Christ, okay, we, we, uh, I think it's appropriate uh, to have a healthy fear of the day of judgment, to live in light of that day, to arrange your life around the fact that you're going to appear before Jesus. But primarily, on the day of judgment, if you're a believer, it will be a day of deliverance for you. God is going to judge the enemies of his people. Yes, temporal enemies, right? ISIS, right? Believers throughout the world suffering at the hands of men. God's going to deliver them. But he's also going to deliver you from the enemy within. You're going to be done with sin when Jesus returns. He's going to deliver you from affliction, from your body breaking down. Okay? God is going to come, and when Jesus returns and he brings the kingdom, he's delivering you from all of your enemies. In Revelation 20, it says, Death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. Even death is defeated forever. And it's this vision this personal, glorious, saving return of God to his creation to save his people that has given Habakkuk this transformation. All of a sudden, in the midst of my terrible, horrible life that is going nowhere fast, it seems, I can just wait quietly. I see the end. So in application, I just want, I want to go back to chapter 2, verse 4. The righteous shall live by his faith. Faith in what? I think the answer is here. Faith in this vision. A trust, a steadfast, heartfelt trust that God at the end really is going to make things right. Looking uh, to Jesus' return with eyes of faith. You can't see it. It doesn't seem like it right now looking by faith to see the return of Jesus and what's going to happen there for you. So if you want submission and trust to God in your questions and trials and pain, you want to prepare yourself to suffer well whenever suffering comes, put your faith and hope in what this passage reveals. See yourself there. Picture it. Imagine what's going to happen when Jesus returns. Set your heart on it. Again, again, right now, maybe, maybe you're really questioning the Lord. I just want to encourage you that when Jesus returns, you will not, like, everyone has that expression, right? Oh, I got questions to ask when I, when, I, when I see Jesus, right? You're not going to be asking questions when Jesus returns. You're going to be overcome with his glory. See yourself there now. And uh, I just want to say, there are some in this room, any, any room this size, okay? Some of you need to see this vision and... You need to flee from the wrath to come. Guys, I, I get it, man. You're here. You're like, there's no way I'm not a Christian. I'm in this room, you know? I'm here. Come on. I'm a millennial. I'm in church. Oh, my gosh. Duh, I'm a Christian, right? You know? Uh, it is so easy to have all of the outward trappings of the Christian life, church attendance, morality, a pretty clean record, and yet you have no genuine affection for Jesus. Your heart 
has not been filled with love for him. You don't really desire him. You like the morals, you like the community, you like what church gives you, but you're not with Christ. And what I want to say is the Jesus who's coming as a lion suffered as a lamb so that today, this day can be a good day for you. Yes, there's, there's, a day, there's a day coming, okay? There's a day coming where you can no longer pretend. The day coming when who you really are will be revealed. And on that day, what God desires for you is for you to be right with him through Christ. So, this vision for Habakkuk, having trusted God, being one of his people, is what gives him submission. We have a song of submission and salvation. Habakkuk can kiss the waves, all right? That's good news. It gets better, though. Um, it's not just like Habakkuk is getting a root canal, okay, and he's been told it'll be over in an hour, okay? Just, just clench your teeth for an hour, right? It's not just that. He's not just a guy who's going to have to clench his teeth and hang on. Um, he's actually given strength until that day. He's given the strength of joy. Uh, this vision doesn't just give him submission. It gives him strength. So we see the conclusion of Habakkuk, all right? Uh, we see him beginning by talking about how terrible his life is going to be and then how he's going to respond to that. Look at verse 16. I think verse 16 refers all the way back to the stuff in chapter 1. Um, my guess is that this vision of God coming is good news for Habakkuk, obviously. But in verse 16 he says, he hears, I hear, about what God's going to do. I've heard this report about the Chaldeans coming to destroy my people. And my body trembles, my lips quiver, rottenness enters my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. His fear is so great, his emotions are so hard that his body is shaking. That's the idea here. Some of you guys have been there before. You've been so distraught in your heart that you have physical symptoms, right? That's where he's at. And that, that, that's helpful. That, helps, that tells us now that you can, you can be submitting to God and still be so distraught that your body's out of control. Right? That happens sometimes. But in the midst of that fear and the trembling, he says, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. I'll, I'll quietly wait for God's deliverance. And uh, then the book lands, and I, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, verse 17 describes no food, okay? Life is so bad, I don't even have basic, my basic needs met. But there's great joy. So verse 17, the fig tree should not blossom, no fruit be on the vines, the approach of the olive fail, the fields yield no food. If you'd like a modern-day translation, okay, you could say, I walk into my pantry, there's nothing there. I go to the grocery store, there's nothing there. I haven't eaten in three days, right? I'm hungry. My basic needs are not met. That's the idea there. The, the idea is the Babylonians, when they come, they're going to scourge the land. They're going to burn the fields. They're going to kill all the cattle. Take them for themselves. Okay? Habakkuk is left with nothing. His basic needs will be unmet. That's his circumstance that God's allowing. Just a couple things before we move on. Uh, I think this helps us understand that there is a category for you being a child of God and sometimes having your basic needs unmet. There's a category for that in Scripture. It's kind of a hard category, but it's there. Okay? Um, and second thing, though, second thing, though, here's the encouraging part, maybe, okay? Uh, our sufferings, wherever we are, okay, we're not yet in verse 17, right? 
uh, depression is not as bad as deprivation, okay? Um, sleeplessness is not as bad as slavery. Being confused about your life is not as bad as being conquered. And I'm not saying that to minimize your, your struggles. Your struggles are real. They feel real. They are. What I'm saying is if Habakkuk can find joy without food, okay, we can find joy without our desires fulfilled. We can find joy without the things we want. We can find joy in pain. Look at the glory of Habakkuk's faith on display. I have nothing, all right? My life has no future. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. In the middle of having every good thing taken from him, Habakkuk realizes he has the best thing, God himself. He has set his affections and his hope and his joys and his happiness on relationship to God himself. Do y'all see that? Here we have the center of the Christian life, right? Um, relationship to God through Christ that brings life and joy. Um, and suffering reveals where our joy is. Habakkuk has gotten to a place where his suffering is going to reveal that what he longs for more than anything else is Jesus. So the old reformer said that a man who has everything taken but has Christ has everything. Habakkuk sees that. He's found his joy there. And then finally, this joy gives Habakkuk strength. Do you all see that? God the Lord is my strength. He's not left to suffer on his own. God strengthens him for whatever his life requires of him. In fact, uh, God strengthens him for his feet to be like the deer, to tread on his high places uh, in, in Old Testament land, lots of hills, lots of mountains, and you'd have these mountain deer that could just crazy gravel path, all sorts of rocks, and they can just leap. They're sure-footed. They have strength. The idea there is that's my life. When I walk with Jesus, right, when I know him, when my joy is in him, um, I'm able to be like that in the middle of suffering. And, and we, uh, we see this a little bit in life. Have you ever noticed that a perfectly normal day can be really hard when stuff's not okay in here, right? And likewise, if things are okay in here, you can deal with a lot out here. And, and the idea of this passage is that Habakkuk has found such a well of life in relationship to God himself, not in God's gifts, not in the nice things God does, not in God's particular plans for me, but in God himself. He's got so much life here that he can deal with extreme circumstances out here. Not without pain, but with faith. Finally, what a great way to end uh, a book of the Bible, to the choir master, right? I wondered about that when I first... Uh, when I first uh, read this. The idea, though, this isn't just a, a statement. It's not a theological treatise. It's not a book. It's a song. It's meant to be sung. The idea was that, that the, the exiles from Jerusalem would sing this on their way to Babylon in chains. They'd be in Babylon, all their hope forsaken. They're going to die in a foreign land. They'd sing this song together. So uh, an application really briefly. Um, the Christian life answers your ultimate questions, right? At the end of the day, Jesus wins. 
and I get glory. But it doesn't just answer your questions. It gives you the strength of joy in the presence of God to live until all your questions are answered. God doesn't just answer the ultimate stuff. He gives you the ability to walk until you get to the ultimate stuff. So wherever you are today, whether life is good or bad, seek your delight in God himself. I'll just admit, uh, I've had a great week, okay? It's been a little strange for me to have such a circumstantially blessed week and be studying this passage, right? And some of you guys are in here, and you're like, well, Leland, I appreciate this, but I wish you would have said this six months ago, because right now life's fine. It was terrible then. I'm fine now. I I wish I could just, like, save this until six months from now, right? Um, I think uh, if you are just fine this morning, if life's okay, my encouragement to you would be to use this season to build a well of joy in God up. Again, suffering just exposes what's really in your heart. And my desire for you is that whenever the hard stuff comes, right? Not if, but when, okay? What's exposed about you is that all the time you delighted in the Lord and you trusted him. Find joy in Jesus today. Look, for, look to him alone for joy. And if you're suffering, if you're struggling, my encouragement to you would be to take up joy, to fight for it. Uh, John Piper um, famously talks about preaching the Bible to yourself. Uh, I, think, I think one of the reasons we struggle a lot to find joy in the Word is that we're content to read it. We read it, we say a few prayers, and we're like, well, nothing happened, so... I don't know if I'm doing something wrong or if the Lord's not really coming. The idea here is that you take these truths and you preach them to your own heart until they change you. That, man, if you're struggling, go home today, get this in front of you, get these last few verses in front of you, okay? And, and preach them to yourself until you are changed. Do not leave your time with the Lord until you're affected. Become your own best preacher. Take the truth and rigorously apply it to your own life. And finally, sing. Wherever you are, sing. My, uh, my children uh, have just discovered this new children's TV show that I hate. It's called The Octonauts. It's the worst. It's the most boring television in the universe, okay? It's about land animals that help see, and it's just so dumb. Anyways, but the worst part is that there's this cheesy song at the end they sing every single time. The episodes are only 10 minutes long, okay? And so I hear it. when I'm, I'm just, I'll just be, like, watching them. Anyways. It's, I'll wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and it just plays in my head, and it drives me insane. All I have to say, okay, is that what you say might stay in your head, but what you sing will get into your soul. God created song. He made it to impress truth upon your heart. Again, I, I say be careful what you listen to, but primarily, wherever you are, sing these kinds of songs of joy. I'll just apply something real, real particular. Uh, when you go to worship, sing. Oftentimes we, we wait. I'll, just, I'll wait until, you know, Dustin or Dean or whoever, you know, makes me feel like singing. Then I'll, then I'll sing, okay? No, the, the idea here is, no, you need to sing. Pa- song is the pathway to joy and an expression of joy. Don't just mumble along. Okay, Sing. So we began with a powerful story about Horatio Spafford uh, pinning it as well as he rode over the graves of his children. 
Um, but it might be better to conclude kind of right here in this room at our church. Um, talking about Habakkuk's joy and Spafford's joy, might, some of you might be thinking, well, like, they're kind of superhero Christians, you know? Like, they had extreme sufferings. They were obviously like, God just helped them in crazy ways, right? I'm just kind of normal, and my sufferings are more like garden variety. Like, I just got some baggage and some junk and some things I'm working through, okay? And you might think that, well, I don't, I don't, I'm not like them. Let me just show you how this goes on around you every time you walk into this building. I remember there's a guy here at DCBC who's been here for a long time. This was, I think, five or six, maybe, maybe three years ago. Uh, we're at the graveside lowering his son into the ground. The son died in a tragic car accident. And he stands up with tears and leads us in the doxology as his son is lowered into the ground. There's a lot of people you'll see walking the hallways, probably in worship, uh, this Sunday, whose spouses have cheated and left and forced them to be single parents, and they will be singing to Jesus today. There are people in our group who have had things happen to them that I would not wish on my worst enemies, and yet they just kiss the waves as they come, and they're just walking with Jesus. They're not perfect. And there are a lot of people in this room who might have chosen to be anywhere but where they are right now in life. And yet, they're giving their lives away. They're finding joy. And I just want to say that the same God who met Horatio and Habakkuk and is meeting all these people around you, he can meet you wherever you are with his joy. So submit to him. See the salvation he's bringing. Take joy and sing. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I do plead that you would create a song in our hearts, uh, even this morning, uh, that you'd minister to us through song. I pray that we would just be people of that joy, unspeakable and full of glory, that you would enable us to walk with you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.